0: Welcome to the 1,000 Hours Outside Podcast. My name is Ginny Yurich. I am the founder of 1,000 Hours Outside. And we have as a guest today, Cody Hanner. Welcome. Hi, Ginny. Thank you for having me. We sort of run in some of the same circles. We're going to be at some same conferences later on this year. Cody is an Idaho homesteader, homeschool mom of six, and a homestead curriculum creator. She has her own podcast called the Homestead Education Podcast and a business membership, and she's doing all sorts of things. I'm so excited to talk with you today.
1: Oh, well, I have been so excited to get to chat with you. So this is going to be great.
0: It is. So I was reading a lot about you on your website. (laughs) And really was intrigued by your story because I think a lot of times when you see someone who is a homesteader, it really seems like they've got their life together because being a homesteader involves an enormous amount of skill sets. So this is someone who has figured out not only their sort of day-to-day life with six kids and with homeschooling, but also figured out this set of skills that many of us don't have, we didn't grow up with, we don't have the knowledge, and so somehow figured out how to do all of these other Other things. So sometimes you just see that one side of them, but then on your website, you really dive into your story. And it's one of a lot of hardships, a lot of triumphs, but also Mm -hmm. a lot of hardships. And so I think it's always really encouraging to hear about people's squiggly paths. That's what Dr. (laughs) Madeline Levine calls them. A lot of us have squiggly paths. She says nine out of 10 people don't have a straight shot to what they're doing. Most people are kind of weaving in and out. And I think it's encouraging to hear those stories because sometimes we may feel lost or we may feel like we're really struggling in a certain season. But then to look at someone who has also struggled and come out on the other side and is doing really remarkable things. So what if we start there, Cody? I know you have some really personal things that you've shared, but I'm sure people would love to hear at least a part of your story and how you ended up with your homestead education movement.
1: (laughs) Absolutely. You know, I was actually told recently that I have a knack for being vulnerable. And I was like, that's, I mean, it was from somebody who I was speaking with. And I was like, that's special. So I really appreciate that. So, yeah, I grew up uh, in rural Northern California, which, if you guys aren't familiar with the two different worlds in California, there is a part of California that is as backwards as any other place in the country. So, that is where I grew up on an 1800 acre cattle ranch. I Went to public school at that time. I went on to major in agriculture at Chico State. Which just because I majored in ag- agriculture, don't think that that means I know everything about my homestead because it is a whole nother world.
0: <laughs> well, and that was I can imagine that because I majored in education, and so that's a uh-huh. whole different world than homeschooling. So even your pivot there, there was a pivot. You weren't majoring in agriculture, right? But someone stepped in.
1: Oh yes. Oh, you see, you really read my story. <laughs> Um, so I was working at a garbage company. I had, I was doing accounting there. And when I decided to go back to college, which, so I guess this is the one place I decided to go back to college after a divorce when my twins were three months old. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: And this was something that I thought I was just going to pop back in, finish up my associate's degree, maybe consider a bachelor's, but probably in some business field so that I could do that while I was raising my kids by myself. Mm -hmm. And I started taking, I had to take a required science class, which, you know, like I said, I I grew up on a cattle ranch. I did 4-H. I dabbled in all of the animal and science things before, but I took this biology class as a requirement for my degree and absolutely fell in love. But still couldn't figure out like what I was supposed to do with that. And I had this English professor step in kind of around that same time. I don't even remember if I had that conversation with him that I had loved my biology class. And he said, your writing is beautiful, but everything you write about is agriculture. You write about your dad on the ranch. You write really in-depth how-tos. He's like, you need to be pursuing agriculture.
0: Isn't that incredible how just one person can really speak into our life? And I could imagine that that must have been a very difficult time to be a single mom with infant twins (laughs) and trying to figure out what am I going to do? And Mm to have someone step in and to really see you and to see what you're good at and to be able to speak into it, that's that spark that changes Mm -hmm. your direction. And here you sit. Right? It absolutely did change my direction. I mean,
1: you know, even I had been told I was bad at English because I wasn't the greatest speller. Hmm. Um, I'm not a good
0: speller either. Right? <laughs> I'll throw that out there. And I always have typos in all my stuff. So
1: I do too. And it's terrible because I have these great books and I always have somebody catching a typo. <laughs> I'm like, thank you. <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah, for me, it's um, my mom. My mom will send me a text like, yo. Oh. but you know, I don't, that is an interesting thing to think that you can be a writer and have grammatical errors. I actually talked with John Deere Laws. He's like a naturalist and he does nature journaling. He's really phenomenal all these tutorials and things and he is dyslexic. And mm-hmm. so he says Well, that doesn't really matter. There's people that can help you with the grammar and the spelling and that type of thing. So it's an interesting thing to think that you could actually be really good at English mm-hmm. and just not be mm-hmm. good at that one particular piece of spelling. Right.
1: My worst one right now is I think that my hands work faster than my brain. So they're typing like as my brain like snaps the ideas, but I haven't completely thought out the whole thought yet. <laughs>
0: right, right. I think
1: that's where my worst one is right now. But
0: yeah, so yeah,
1: he actually helped me get the first thing I ever had published.
0: Wow, your professor did? Yes. That's awesome. Which,
1: it was just an article, just an article. But I mean, for me, it was huge. It was an essay that I'd written on reopening mountain lion hunting in California. And he helped me get that into a regional hunting magazine. Not only did I get to excel in something, it was something my dad was super proud of. Because my dad actually, a couple of the writers from that magazine, he would take hunting on trade so that they would promote him. And so, I mean, he was super proud. He would take that everywhere into all the trade shows we would do and stuff. That was pretty special hmm. So yeah, I ended up taking the agriculture route. I actually had to move and do another year in a community college.
0: Wow, you moved with your babies.
1: I moved with my babies about three hours away from anybody I knew, and started going to another college, which is beyond challenging. Yeah,
0: <laughs> I, I had Yeah, you probably um, can't even put it into words.
1: No, it's, Mm -hmm. I I just, I guess I didn't sleep. I don't know. Maybe I'd have more brain cells now.
0: (laughs) Well, and I can imagine with twins, I just, someone just said to me recently that had twins, they said the hardest part was actually 18 months. I would imagine that a lot of it's hard, but I had always thought if you had twins, by the time they're moving quickly, And that depends on the child. But, you know, they start walking, then they start walking fast and they're quick. (laughs) And if you have two of them and they don't really understand, I could imagine that that part would be so difficult. So you have these babies and then you're moving and you're in such a transition as a mother trying to finish your degree.
1: Turns out one of them uh, is autistic. My son's autistic. So he's very high functioning. But we did a lot of therapies. I mean, Mm -hmm. OT, PT, early intervention therapists. I mean, you name it, we did it. It it was exhausting. But they got a little older, and I was able to start taking them to the school farm with me. Oh, yeah, I would just sign them up as volunteers. And they'd be there at five in the morning for lambing season. Wow,
0: what an experience for them. That's incredible. So this was like the
2: initial,
0: this was like the initial seeds of what you're doing now is their homestead education that they're learning Mm -hmm. in the context of real life with all the things that are going on around them. Wow. I love that you said you had said on your website, you said you were exhausted, but thriving. And you can hear that in your story. You can Mm -hmm. hear that you pivoted, but you found the thing that you really loved so there can be a combination of that being tired, but also being in a good spot.
1: Oh, absolutely. It was such an amazing time for me. And I found a good preschool for the kids and we had this great little house out by the school farm. And it was a really special time for us. I mean, we we grew as a family.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. It was the
1: you know, like the three of us against the world, you know?
0: Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and I love that you wrote that you got your dream job. I've never heard anyone say this, your dream internship with an organic almond processing plant. You know, these are the (laughs) things that you don't, if you're out of that world, you don't even really realize exist, that somewhere Mm -hmm. there is an organic almond processing plant, and you started working with food safety.
1: Uh Uh-huh. So, you know, back when I was a little kid, you know how most little girls play teacher or... Something like that, I guess. I had a desk in my bedroom where I created a whole system of. I ran a wetsuit manufacturing company.
0: Wow, <laughs> I you lived know. in California.
1: Yeah, I, I don't know why I thought that was so cool, but.
0: <laughs> wow, so this is in you though to run something to have systems in place. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it's I have a like very, files that's everything, very unique. You know? That is very, very <laughs> unique. A wetsuit manufacturing place. That's <laughs> right. incredible. So then you loved the organic almond processing plant.
1: Yeah, well, you know, then I when I first went into agriculture, I th- started majoring in agriculture, I thought I was going to work for the USDA one day. Mm-hmm. That was the ultimate goal. I was going to be a USDA inspector. So when I came across this internship, it was like, this is perfect for me. I had worked in offices up until I'd gone back to college. And then they were looking for somebody who had that food safety background, which is what I was taking most of my electives in because I had this really wonderful mentor in college. And so I stepped right into that position and worked there for the next two years. And it was it was amazing. I loved every second of it. And actually, the only reason I left is I got headhunted for a better job.
0: Wow. So we, you really have had these pivots that have come in tandem with some really hard life situations, like being a single mom Mm -hmm. with twin babies. And then you talked about how when you got remarried, then your husband had a health scare. Mm -hmm. And that was another big pivot for you.
1: Yes. So yeah, a few years after I graduated from college, I met my now husband, who was a disabled vet and had recently lost his wife. And we needed each other in that moment. Like I was thriving in my life, but I wasn't necessarily thriving as a parent. Mm -hmm. I'm really struggling with, you know, having an autistic son in public school and trying to work 60, 80 hours a week sometimes. Right. And I met my husband who was struggling with these boys who had just lost their mom and had, were just floundering Mm -hmm. and we were right for each other. And two years after that, you know, everything was wonderful. We'd bought our dream home in Oregon. I'd left work. I was working from home or not working from home. I was a stay at home mom. I had never done that before.
0: Yeah.
1: And life was great and he was having some heartburn. And so we went to the doctor and they wanted to do a CT just to make sure everything was good because it was pretty severe. And he got diagnosed with end-stage liver disease, which was in the year following losing my dad, my brother, and my best friend from the same disease. So I was like, no, this is not happening to me again. I absolutely, I mean, I dove into it with both feet. Um, Mm -hmm. The doctors say, you know, with end stage liver disease, that the only thing you can do for it is switch to a natural lifestyle.
0: Okay, so what do you mean by that?
1: I did. I had no clue what that meant.
0: Oh, wow. Okay. I mean, this really is fairly new. You made some substantial changes within the past couple years. Mm -hmm.
1: This was five years ago that we got that diagnosis. Okay. Our youngest son, it was, or no, our second youngest son was six months old at the time. And he's, yeah, five and a half now. And that was really what these doctors at the Veterans Hospital told us. Switch to an all-natural lifestyle. You'll find stuff online. (laughs) Okay. All right. Come back in a year. We'll check and see if you have cancer. Wow. I mean, that was literally what they said to us. We walked out just blown away because we didn't even know what caused his liver disease. We believe now that it might be something that happened in Iraq, but we're not 100% sure. And so fast forward to me sitting in the middle of my kitchen with thousands of dollars worth of new appliances and organic food and, you know, chicken, like baby chicks chirping in the background because we're going to grow all of our own meat and had no clue what I was doing. I thought we were always home cookers. I mean, I I grew up on a ranch and we'd always grown and grown meat. And I mean, this was, I thought what we were doing was right. And turns out that there was this whole other level of home cooking and creating things from scratch and taking natural routes through, you know, just herbalisms and supplements over Western medicine. Or pharmaceuticals. And, you know, this isn't even one of those things where I go, oh, you know, we didn't do what the doctor said. We did it natural and we got healed. That was our what they told us. To do. Yeah, that was what the doctor said. <laughs> they're like, they're, there's really, you know, don't drink, don't smoke, cut salt out. I mean, that was really like the deepest that they gave us. <laughs> and we're like, well, what do we do with this? So,
0: so this was a big learning
1: curve, I would imagine. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I had to learn how to do everything all over again.
0: Mm hmm. What are some examples of that? And you talked about the chicks, but I mean, you said you'd always been a home cooker. So that's an Mm -hmm. interesting thing. You even were a home cooker, but then to say, well, wait a minute, I've got to go a deeper level with this.
1: Absolutely. So one of them is, you know, chicken broth is full of sodium. I mean, just absolutely ridiculously full of sodium. And he could only have, I don't even remember now. I think it was 1200 milligrams of sodium a day. And so right there, just trying to figure out how to make chicken broth at home.
0: Right. Because you don't have to add any salt to it.
1: No. And I I mean, from doing research, pretty much they said, you'll never oversalt with a salt shaker. So, you know, I switched to sea salt. I, you know, still salted it. I mean, so that the food tasted good to him. I mean, that that was a really hard one for him. He's like, I'm not eating stuff that doesn't taste good. So I had to figure that one out. I mean, he was, you know, I'm much more likely to be like, I'm going to suck it up and eat my salad. No, he's not on board.
0: (laughs) Yeah, so you had your work cut out for you. I you did, had to figure yes. out how to do it and make it taste good. This episode is brought to you by BetterHelp. Question, what's the first thing you do if you had an extra hour in your day? Read a few chapters of that book, start painting that guest bedroom, tackle that pile of laundry, play a card game with your kids. A lot of us spending our lives wishing we had more time. The question is, time for what? If time was unlimited, how would you use it? The best way to squeeze that special thing into your schedule is to know what's important to you and make it a priority. If you're feeling stuck, therapy is something that can help you find what matters to you so you can do more of it. Therapy is a wonderful thing. It can help you learn positive coping skills or show you how to navigate properly setting boundaries. With BetterHelp, it's easy to get started. You just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist. It's entirely online and designed to be convenient. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try and visit betterhelp.com slash 1000 hours to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P.com/slash slash 1000 hours. Everyone wants to start their year off on the right foot. And for me, that means making sure I'm eating well and have enough energy to do everything I want to do. But I'm not going to run to the butcher every day to get a fresh cut of quality meat. That's why Good Chop is such a lifesaver for our family. Good Chop offers fully customizable boxes of high-quality meat and seafood delivered to your door on your schedule. Their products are vacuum-sealed and frozen at peak freshness, so you can stock your freezer and cook when you want. We had a somewhat last-minute get-together recently, and it was so incredibly convenient to just head to the freezer and pull out a couple bags of Good Chop's hamburger patties to whip up some burgers quickly. They were so delicious. Besides being delicious, it's important to know it won't cost you a fortune either. Good Goodchop's price per meal starts at just $3.74. Go to goodchap.com slash outside120 and use code outside120 to get $120 off across your first four boxes. That's code outside120 at goodchop.com slash outside120 for $120 off. com slash outside120 code outside 120. Well, I think there's interesting themes in your story is that through homesteading, through the study of animals, through the study of agriculture, that there is this huge education component. And that when you learn Mm -hmm. these things, You're learning all sorts of subjects all across. So like it started with biology, but then, you know, if you're talking about having a wetsuit manufacturing business, (laughs) I mean, you would know all sorts of things. You would be learning math and geography. And so the same with this homestead education is that Mm. this is an avenue for us to learn and to learn in deep ways. Let's talk about some of that a little bit. You became a homeschooling family. Well, partially because you wanted to make sure the kids had time with their dad.
1: That was a big chunk of it is we didn't know if he was going to have a year or 10 years or 20 years. We we have no clue.
0: Mm-hmm. And you said, you know, you have some neurotypical and some that are non neurotypical.
1: Oh, yeah. So we have, you know, one that's autistic and two with ADHD. One of them that has ADHD also has ODD. It's oppositional defiance disorder. Mm-hmm. And the other one has dyslexia. Okay, it's just that was part of where I was like, we needed each other. We needed somebody that understood what the other one was going through.
0: Yeah. It's interesting that when you have children who are dealing with different things, mm-hmm. that sometimes being at home with their mother or with their family, that mm-hmm. you really can service them well because you know them the best.
1: Absolutely. I mean, it was it was life-changing bringing them home. And I mean, my husband was like, nope, we're not homeschooling. That's ridiculous. Why are we doing this? <laughs> And I was like, no, just trust the process. Mm-hmm. And I mean, now he's the biggest one who was like, I would never send them back to school. Like, I don't care if you're too busy. Don't teach them. They can they can go a month without school. Like, they're fine, you know?
0: Well, because they're learning on your homestead. Uh, oh, yeah. Absolutely. They're learning every day through life. And so, you have your kids at home, mm-hmm. and now you're homesteading. So, how is it helping with your self-sufficiency? I think that's a big thing right now as you're dealing with food insecurity and yeah. just a lot of things that are up in the air, things that feel a little scary. You don't really know what's going on. I mean, mm-hmm. as we're recording this and who knows, because things change, it's like, oh, eggs are really expensive. <laughs> right? Things like that. So how is your homesteading helping your family be self-sufficient? And I guess I would love to hear about your family, but then also how you're teaching other people to incorporate it in their lives, especially for those that live maybe in a more urban area or they don't have the farmland but there are still things that they can do.
1: Absolutely. So, the first thing that I was able to do before we even started our full-blown homestead was I took our monthly food budget for eight people from 1500 a month down to 300 a month.
0: Wow.
1: Because right off the bat, I was like there is no way that I can feed our whole family all natural and organic at these prices. So, you know, there were some things we were able to do that not everyone can do, but there's still options for, and one of them is we hunt. So we were able to provide a lot of our own meat that way. We also, our kids do 4-H animals, so we always added an extra pig in when they would do 4-H every year, and then we would butcher our own pig, and so we were only out the cost of the feed. And even in those cases, it feels expensive at first because you're having to pay or a half a ton of feed, that could be 500 bucks. But then when you look that all your pork products for the year are covered for $500, that goes down to almost nothing. And so we were able to see a huge difference there. I have a small ebook on how I did that, but there's a lot of really great tips in there because I feel like it's all about one step at a time. Pick one thing and master it and don't add something else until you have that mastered
0: you had written that somewhere. And I really liked Mm -hmm. that about just taking it one step at a time. And maybe I didn't put it in my notes. But I had seen it on your website. And you were saying, well, pick one thing and Mm -hmm. figure that out and then add in the next thing. And I thought that was such good advice.
1: And I mean, when you're, you know, new homesteaders, new homeschoolers, new home cookers, you might have three or four new things you're doing at the same time. But it's not trying to make five different changes in your kitchen all at once. It's A new change in the kitchen, a new change for school, a new change in family structure. So it's not overwhelming to you or your kids, because that's the hardest one. Is when you have these little guys, like with you know twenty new processes coming at them all at once. Us as moms, we can sort that all out in our head. Kids can't, husbands can't, and it's just it's because of the way their brains are wired. That's not a stab at husbands. And so when you kind of can just take one at a time and master it, by the time you're ready to start a new one, that first one no longer feels like work and it just feels like life.
0: Mm-hmm. So would you say that you're in a spot where you have implemented most of the things that you want to implement or are there still things that you're hoping to change?
1: Well, you know, it's a, it's seasons of life. Mm-hmm. So currently, I mean, two years ago, I could easily say that we produced probably 80% of our own food.
0: Wow. Is that gardening, foraging?
1: Yeah, gardening, foraging, growing meat, even our flowers and stuff. We weren't necessarily producing it, but our neighbors do. Mm -hmm. And they have actually a big flower plant, but then we were trading meat for our flowers. So I see that still as a self-sufficient move. So
0: Because it's like bartering?
1: It's bartering and it's local. And even our grain for our pigs, my husband was doing... He does the mechanics for the neighbor's farm, and then they trade him in grain and hay.
0: Wow, Cody. Yeah, that's incredible. So when you talk about being self-sufficient, you really are quite a ways down the path. That's amazing. Mm -hmm. And what are some of the things? So one of the things that you're passionate about then is that through homesteading skills, there's a lot of education. So what are some self-sufficiency things and life skills that your kids are getting out of this experience?
1: So one thing that we do is we're big on... Everybody helps. And we've actually done this in a way to teach them autonomy and give them ownership over what's happening so that they are excited and want to be a part of it and understand the, like, the details of why it's happening. It really encourages them to take on the different pieces. So, you know, sometimes, you know, when you're talking to families that don't have big farms, sometimes just a kid understanding that their nightly tor- chore of taking out the trash makes it where mom can cook dinner faster. It's just that why that goes along with it. And it gives them that a little bit of power in the situation, I guess. I don't know if power, control, sometimes all those words kind of are challenging when you're talking about raising kids. So
0: it gives them ownership. It gives them probably confidence Mm -hmm. and it gives them community. They're part of something. They're part Mm -hmm. of the family unit working. Yeah, there's a lot there. So
1: our kids now, they all have a management position on our farm.
0: I love that. Do they have names?
1: (laughs) Yeah, the chicken manager. No.
0: Okay. Yeah, no,
1: that's cool. So my daughter's in charge of all of our poultry.
0: Yeah, she is the chicken manager.
1: Yes. One of our sons is completely in charge of our dairy cows. And another son is completely in charge of our pig operation. They have other jobs, but these are kind of their big ones. And what they do with that is it's not just their job to feed the chickens. It's their job to feed the chickens, collect the eggs, clean the eggs, to let me know when I have chickens that aren't laying, to let me know if someone's sick, to let me know how many chicks I need to order in the spring, to incubate eggs, to order eggs for incubation. I mean, all of it.
0: Wow. Yeah, that right there is just a snapshot of how much goes into some of these things that would seem like they're not that complicated, but they really have a lot of moving parts to them. And similar to your wetsuit business (laughs) dream, that when you're managing the chickens, that there's a lot going on there mentally with cognition, trying to figure out all the different Mm -hmm. pieces and how they work together. And so, when you are talking with parents, because I know that you have a homestead science curriculum, Mm -hmm. when you're talking with parents, I would imagine that the majority of them don't have an actual farm or farmland. What kind of ways are you guiding them to learn some of these principles, maybe in a neighborhood, let's say?
1: Well, um, with my curriculum, one of the biggest pieces to that is I made it a full science curriculum. So it's got all the life skills in it, especially the junior high, high school version. It's got biology, anatomy, physiology, entomology, microbiology. I mean, it covers all the theology.
0: That's cool. This is what spurred you on at the beginning was your science exactly. class. Exactly. And so I wanted to take that real science
1: background in agriculture and blend that with the practical everyday life of homesteading. And so the book is not overly conversational, but it is a very straightforward read that makes it where kids, families, I mean, I have a lot of adults that buy this book because it teaches how all of these systems work together.
0: I love that. I actually did see someone comment about that because it (laughs) is interesting. I think if you grow up in suburban area, if you grow up in an apartment, these types of things are really outside of your wheelhouse. I mean, I would say that I didn't know anything about any of it that if you have goats and they need to have their hooves sheared, yeah, I don't even know that it is, yeah. you know, all these different things that you don't really even know are going on. And so it is really interesting to learn about it all.
1: You know, I'm actually reading a book right now that it's kind of the anti-agriculture book, which is kind of an interesting take for me, but I'm loving it. And they talk about how at one point, the USDA made it every farm a factory. Mm-hmm. And of course, when we start talking about some of these food security issues, that's when we're like, that's where we went wrong. Oh, what's the book called? Uh, it's called Animal Vegetable Junk A History of Food from Sustainable to Suicidal.
0: Huh. Yeah. The factories are an issue, right? Because those are mm-hmm. what's there's issues, and this one blew up. And oh, now we're down God. this many chickens and things like that. Yeah. That's super and- interesting. It's a really
1: interesting book. And it just talks about how we turned all the farms basically into factories. And they were ran like factories. And, you know, at first, I had to step back and I was like, Oh, why would you attack my farming that way? (laughs) And Mm. then I realized what he was saying, which is exactly why we're heading down this modern homesteading movement is because we took some wrong turns along the way. But when it comes to all the systems within running a farm and providing your own food and everything, you do have to run it a little bit like a business.
0: Which is different than a factory.
1: It is, yes.
0: Mm-hmm. But I had
1: to kind of sort that out in my brain a little bit.
0: Right. Yeah. And I know you talk about you have a business education course and you talk about different homestead money makers.
1: Mm-hmm, exactly. Uh, because that's, I mean, it's something I have a gift for. I can listen to somebody's situation and be like, Oh, I know where you can make money there. Let's do that. So that's one of the things that I do. But that's just from my business background. And yeah, so those systems, I mean, you definitely have to treat them like a business because there are so many different moving parts. And as a parent trying to teach kids this, I took on the understanding all the moving parts while they learn how to kind of report back to me on those. Mm -hmm. And it gives them so much ownership. And they're so proud of what they work on. yeah. I, mean, I can barely have a conversation with my autistic son sometimes, but he can give an entire speech in front of our whole hundred kid for each group about his dairy cow. Yeah, that's incredible. He wants to raise a steer next year. And I told him, I don't have the money to buy you a steer. I do, but you know, and so he went to the same neighbors that my husband works for and says, can I work your farm to earn a steer? And so they have worked out a plan with him where he's going to work for the next year to earn a steer.
0: What a kid. That's incredible. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it gives him such a sense of responsibility and hard work and how the hard work would pay off. You talked about, well, I was going to pivot here real quick too, because- it's starting to get warm here in Michigan. It's <laughs> unseasonably warm. They say it's not going to last, but we're loving it for like a week.
1: Right. It's pretty warm here too. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So I was with some friends and we were talking about canning because it feels like spring is coming, even <laughs> though we know it's not, it's it's right. fake, but <laughs> we're talking about canning and some of us have some property that we could grow vegetables on. But even in that case, like if you're not very good at it like i would say i'm not very good at it then i grew maybe like 3 tomatoes and each of those were partially eaten by hornworms which was still a really fun experience and very Eat the delightful to your chickens. yes sure and <laughs> but very delightful i mean it was really fun to grow those 3 tomatoes but i couldn't i couldn't do anything with them and then some uh-huh. of my friends don't have maybe their HOA and they can't have a garden in different mm-hmm. situations so we were talking about how if you go to the farmers market And you buy seasonally, you know, they have, you know, a lot of tomatoes at the end of the season and then they'll sell Mm -hmm. big bushels of I don't even know what the terminology is. But, Uh you know, the ones that are maybe blemished or the apples, same thing. We have a lot of apples in Michigan. So we were talking about how that's a way that we could can and preserve and pickle is by Mm -hmm. consistently, you know, weekly or bi-weekly going to the farmers markets and buying what's in season and then learning how to can and preserve those foods. Mm-hmm. So, do you find that that's something that people are starting to do more and using like a resource like a farmers market if they don't have a large area to grow their own food?
1: Absolutely. You know, even sometimes going through farmers markets things can get a little pricey. Um I always suggest going directly to the farmer.
0: Oh, that would be really cool. Maybe mm-hmm. you would even go to the farm
1: then. Yeah. And a lot of farms are really like, yeah, bring the family, like, come on out and I'll sell you everything that I didn't take to farmer's market because it wasn't pretty for half the price.
0: Wow. We did a CSA, a community supported agriculture. Well, I think that's really neat, but we did one a couple of years back and then there was an opportunity to go help them plant their lavender fields. Yes. It was really neat. And so we learned that there's this tool like it's like a shoot and you drop the plant and it like falls down in and I mean we learned a lot because Mm -hmm. we were just there for the afternoon and we saw how the tractor worked so those are things that we didn't know about and so to be able to actually I'm sure some farms you can't just go visit but I would imagine a lot of farmers maybe would be
1: oh there's farms locally that do I think they're work trade programs Where you can take the kids out and dig up potatoes or carrots or something for all day long, and they will split it with you.
0: Wow, that's incredible. That's like Mm -hmm. the barter system. Exactly. That's really neat. So goodness, if someone were interested in that, because the spring is coming, and I think there's probably planting, there's a lot of things that are coming. I wonder how someone would figure that out in their area. That's tricky.
1: Um, You know, social media is a really great way to find some of those types of things. You, know, you can search up local farms in your area. Yeah. Sometimes these farms, they aren't huge conglomerates. Right. You know, just somebody who really likes bees and loves to teach people about bees when they come out to buy a jar of honey. And I mean, it's great ways to involve your kids in everything that's happening. Yeah. I mean, even my kids who live on a farm, they learn something every time they go to a new farm.
0: Yeah, that's really interesting because there's so many different ways that you can specialize and so many different layers of knowledge that there Mm -hmm. is always something more to learn. Yeah, that's a really, Um, really practical idea heading into the spring is to know what farmers are closest to you. And some people mm -hmm. might be pretty far, but even if you know someone who's near you that grows a lot of things, Mm -hmm. maybe they're in the neighborhood and they've got a backyard garden or they've got a garden out on their patio or on their deck or They're in an apartment, maybe they got stuff on the sills or something, just Uh to really try and rub shoulders with those people and to learn what they know and to know that our kids would be learning so much through that.
1: And then going to the farmer's market and just chatting with the farmers there. Because if they don't do it, they might know somebody who does.
0: Yeah, that's true. They would be more networked. Those are really cool ideas. I bet you people will do a lot of that. We're going to look into that. I like what you put. You had something on your website where you said that homesteading isn't slower but it is more peaceful.
1: Absolutely. So our life is busy. I mean, we've got animals, we've got, we still do the normal stuff. Our kids play baseball and um, and we're 45 minutes from the closest grocery store. So, I mean, if we run out of bread, like, I mean, that's an adventure. Everybody loads up in the car and we drive to town, you know? Mm -hmm. (laughs) So, I mean, our life isn't necessarily slower, but everybody kind of sees that they want that slow living. Now, I knew what they meant by that because I make my own schedule. I know what I want to do. If I want to get up in the morning and drink my coffee for two hours while I work on our finances, I can do that. And then I can go out and work outside. I don't have to do anything in a certain order. I mean, the animals need to be fed, but that's what I have teenagers for, you know? the boys they feed that's their job you know so and then they pretty much do whatever they want for the rest of the day i mean we have we homeschool and they we have projects that have to be done around the farm but i mean they have 40 acres they
0: go and play when the skies open up while others seek shelter i embrace the rain heading to my favorite hike the raindrops are like a soothing melody and my vessies ensure each step is dry and comfortable turning a simple outing into a rather delightful experience Whenever my kids and I are stepping into a great outdoors adventure, I love wearing Vessi's Stormburst boots to capture the beauty of springtime landscapes. Their robust style is perfect for our nature excursions, adding a little dash of elegance to our outdoor explorations. This spring, transform how you view wet weather with Vessi. Their Dymatex technology makes their shoes not just waterproof, but a stylish barrier against rain and puddles. Whether it's a sudden downpour or a planned seaside walk, Vessi shoes ensure your feet stay dry and comfortable. Embrace the essence of spring with Vessi. From chic city walks to adventurous treks, find the perfect pair for your lifestyle at Vessi.com slash outside and enjoy an automatic 15% off your first order upon checkout. That's V-E-S-S-I dot slash outside for 15% off your first order. Eating better is easy with Factor's delicious, ready to eat meals. Every fresh, never frozen meal is chef crafted, dietitian approved, and ready to go in just two minutes. You'll have over 35 different options to choose from every week, including Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. com slash outside 50 to get 50% off. It's interesting because that heavy work, and you talk about feeding the farm animals, that heavy work is so good for development. That's one of the things that helps develop the proprioception sense. So anything that's a push and pull on the joints. Mm
2: -hmm. And so heavy
0: things that are heavy, lifting feed bags and all the type of work that I think you would associate with the farm, dealing with hay bales and things like that. Which, you know, I know there's statistics about X amount of years ago, 90% of people grew some of their own food. I mean, I don't know what the actual statistics yeah. are, but it's a really large number where for a long time, people were involved with agriculture Digging, even if it wasn't animals, they're gardening and they're squatting and there's all the soil and they have that push and pull on their joints of their fingers. So it's interesting to think about the homestead from that perspective. That it's really helping the kids with their areas of development, their different. Oh,
1: absolutely. I, I mean, I'm blown away all the time by how much they learn just by being a part of it. On that slow living piece, we went to the Bay Area in California recently. We had to be there for two weeks while my husband had surgery at a clinic, a VA clinic there. I didn't realize how slow our life was. Hmm. Everybody was at full speed. And I mean, you couldn't even carry on a conversation with people because they just talked over you to like make everything happen really fast. And I'm like, if you would just stop and listen and have a conversation, we'd be through this so much faster. And it was really, it was such an interesting concept. That everything they tried to do so fast was actually slowing them down. Where we do everything pretty slow, and our life is at top speed, it's efficient. But yeah, I actually, the disconnect that people have from our agricultural roots, I guess. I read recently a day that you don't have a connection with soil, that you are further away from that connection or something along those lines. <laughs> but it was. I mean, it blew, it, I mean, it just like lit everything up for me because that's where we have that disconnect is that for you to get your tomatoes at the grocery store, you are not connecting with soil. And that's, that's a huge problem.
0: <laughs> when I got my tomatoes, I definitely connected with the soil, but so I right? only got a couple of them. So it didn't work out super well for me. But what I did learn from my gardening that I really loved is that there's so much more variety than I had any idea. We grew, and when I say we grew, I mean, we grew one, one green zebra tomato, maybe we, maybe a couple of those grew, those were <laughs> teenier, but you have all these really cool different varieties. And I thought that mm-hmm. was really fun too, because there's a lot of novelty in the garden that doesn't exist as much in the grocery store. And so I really liked that. And I think farmer's markets are somewhat similar too, mm-hmm. where they have different things that you haven't seen before. And sometimes you're surprised that it even grows in your area.
1: Well, and you know, to be a farmer, you have to be able to make lemonade. Because I mean, like you said that the hornworms ate your tomatoes, well, take those hornworms and feed them to your chickens, because you're not wasting that protein. <laughs> you know. And it was like this year, I had no, no red tomatoes, I got my garden in a little bit late, we had to leave to go to a conference, we came home, it was supposed to snow the next day, and I did not have a single red tomato.
0: Oh, you did something with the green tomatoes, though. I, I saw.
1: did. I have half a refrigerator still full of pickled green tomatoes.
0: I mean, I've never heard of that. What do they taste like? Do they They're taste delicious. like pickles? Oh, my gosh. They're good, okay. huh? So, Interesting.
1: Like, the thicker Roma ty- tomatoes, they taste a little bit like a green onion. Or not a green onion, a green olive. So for me, I was a little like, nope, not eating those. But my husband has mowed down on them. For me, the like cherry tomatoes, the thinner skinned ones. Mm -hmm. Oh, I could eat those all day long. Like I will probably purposely grow some green tomatoes next year to pickle them. I did refrigerator pickles. I didn't even can them. I mean, it wasn't, I didn't know how those would hold up in the canning process. Right. And so I just did refrigerator pickles, which is, I mean, water, vinegar, salt, and a few herbs and garlic in a jar, put the lid on, you're done.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I totally agree with you that even when things don't work out like how you're hoping, I guess in some cases, it could be more dire if you're depending on it, that would be a big deal. But with ours, it was more of experimentation and we're trying to learn. Mm-hmm. And it's just a moment of connection because those hornworms, I think they're really cool looking. And their poop, <laughs> it looks like a mini corn on the cob. Oh, that's interesting. And so I would go out there with What's our that, youngest. that poop or eggs? No, it's their poop. It looks like corn on oh, the cob. Nice. It's so bizarre looking. And I actually was just talking to a woman who was a scatologist, scatologist, scatologist. I don't know. She studies Mm. scat. And so she's super interested in that from different animals. And so this hornworm has this. Anyway, the whole point is (laughs) that I would go out to the garden with our because they really blend in those hornworms. It's hard to see them, but you can Mm -hmm. really find their poop because of the way it looks. So our youngest daughter would like to go out and go hunt for it. She was really good at finding it. And then that would help you to find the hornworm. And so even though it was demolishing our tomato plants, it was a fun moment of connection and just interesting and exciting. And where is it? And did you find it? And so I like that you make lemonade out of your experiences, because they still are these life giving experiences, even when things don't go as planned.
1: Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I did want to circle back, you were talking about different ways you could get food um, Mm -hmm. when you're in an urban setting. And I think we all talk about how you can get vegetables in an urban setting, but we don't always talk about how you can get quality meat in an urban setting. And I do want to say farmers markets right off the bat. They always have meats there. And again, you're gonna. There's a lot of times you might end up paying more, but you can try cuts of meat before good quality, you know, organic, humanely raised cuts of meat before you invest in them. You can talk to those same farmers. A lot of them will sell in larger quantities where you can buy, you know, a quarter or a half if you have the freezer spaced.
0: Mm-hmm. or go in with another
1: family. Maybe uh-huh. our, our farm, we sell whole hogs every year. And, you know, it works out to like 4 or $5 a pound or something, like across the board. So bacon is $5 a
0: pound, but so sausage, you know, so. Mm -hmm. And humanely raised Mm -hmm. and organic feed and all of those types of things. Yeah, that's really good advice. We're running on the edge of our time here. But one of the things that really is showcased in your story is that there's been a lot of personal growth. You've had a lot of challenges. Mm -hmm. And so that's one of the topics that you talk about. How do we keep growing?
1: Well, after a really bad postpartum with my youngest, I realized that I was not lighting my own fire anymore. And so when I was ready to light my own fire, I dove into a little bit of everything. I read, I listened to podcasts, I signed up to sell through an MLM, company. I mean, I just tried a little bit of everything, because I wanted to figure out who I was again. I had just spent the last few years just being a homeschool mom, I say just but you know, you kind of get into that rut where you're a homeschool mom, you're a, you know, I was trying to change my husband's lifestyle, even all of our, our farming was all about him and his health. And I needed to figure out who I still was. And who I was was, well, I'm a, I'm a businesswoman for one. Yeah, it's true. Yeah, I've but been since you were a kid. I absolutely have been, but that really getting like tapping into those science roots was something that mm-hmm. had excited me. And that's how I ended up going down the home, the path of the homestead education mm-hmm. was that I wanted to be able to, teach? basically my theme for that is I want to help you and your kids grow your own food and grow as a person.
0: Aww. What a mission. That's a beautiful
1: mission. I love they that. Absolutely Cody. absolutely go together 100%. Mm-hmm. Is- they do. Yeah, I mean, it changes who you are at your core when you can produce for yourself.
0: So if people are interested in finding because you really do offer a lot, and I'm Mm -hmm. writing this down because this is such a great tagline, and maybe it will be the title, grow your own food (laughs) and grow as a person. I don't want to lose it. I mean, that's beautiful. You have (laughs) your business membership, you have Homestead Science, and you have your Homestead Education podcast So if people and you're on Instagram if people mm-hmm. are interested in finding you, where should they go?
1: Um, I mean the best place to go is my website the homesteadeducation.com From there I have links to all of you know my podcast and my curriculum and my social medias and everything that I do there. Um, it has all of the places I'll be speaking at this year, which is multiple homestead and homeschool conferences. I'll either be a speaker or um, doing running workshops.
0: Oh, fun. So people can meet you in person.
1: Yes. I'm really excited about that one because I I feel like I love being a problem solver. And -hmm. one of the things that I'm working on is raising self-sufficient children. Mm -hmm. And I have this fun little workshop put together where we figure out the hardest part of someone's day by mapping it out and integrating the kids. So
0: that's awesome. Raising self-sufficient children and your podcast. I looked at some of the different Titles, Beating Mom Burnout, 10 Mm -hmm. Tips and Tricks for Homemade Cost-Cutting, which is really a big deal, because even sometimes when it's homemade, it can still be expensive. So, 10 Tips and Tricks, How I Saved My Struggling Homestead, Combating Food Inflation, that's definitely a big topic. So
1: That one, I ended up, I talked for over an hour by myself, just expressing to everybody what they could do to make those changes in, them, in their lives and make themselves feel more secure. And my husband goes, that was such a long, you know, podcast interview or podcast episode. I said, yeah, <laughs> like It wasn't even would. an interview. <laughs> I, was, I was like, my guest wouldn't shut up. And he was like, wait, <laughs> wasn't it a solo one? I was like, yes. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I know. Well, when you go down the path of what you're passionate about, there's a lot there. There's a depth of information there. So you just have so much to offer families. Families could possibly even meet you this year in person. So the homesteadeducation.com and then on Instagram, your homestead underscore education. So people can find Cody Mm -hmm. Hanner, a lot of places and your homestead science teaches kids about homesteading with a science base for learning agriculture, self-sufficiency, life skills, mathematics, and quality of character. So you have a lot there for a lot of different ages. really neat. I mean, this seems like you have, I mean, if you've only just now switched your lifestyle within the past five years, this is really a newer thing for you. Mm -hmm. So I would imagine there's a lot still to come. So people should be following along.
1: Absolutely. There's going to be more curriculums coming out all the time.
0: Yeah, you have a lot to offer. Well, mm-hmm. Cody, we always end our podcast with the same question. And I'm interested what your answer will be since you grew up on a ranch. Maybe it'll have something to do with that or not. <laughs> but what is a favorite outdoor memory of yours from your childhood?
1: Oh, riding in the Jeep with my dad. That was every year during deer season, my dad and I would ride in the Jeep together and he'd we'd just talk about everything that was going on in our lives and would drive all over the ranch, and I, to this day, can still smell the dust in the Jeep, the smell of the sage when it's sticky and hot in the summertime in California, and I can just remember every detail of my dad, who I lost about five years ago. But those were always my favorite memories even before he passed away, but now I can just go for a drive out in the woods with my farm truck that smells all dusty, and it feels like I had my dad there with me, so.
0: yeah. Yeah. It's amazing how those sensory experiences really stick with us. Mm -hmm. Well, Cody, I really appreciate your time. It is awesome what you're doing. Your story is very inspirational. And I'm sure that some people are listening are in a really tough spot, but they can listen to you and learn that your big pivots came in times that were really tough for you. And you are really thriving, even despite these really big challenges that have been set before you. So thank you for being here.
1: My hope is that someone doesn't feel alone, so.
0: Yes, absolutely, absolutely. Thank you for being here and I'm excited. We're gonna actually be at one of the same conferences in Pigeon Forge at Teach Them Diligently in May, I think that one is in. And so excited to meet you in person. All right. Thank you. Great. Hoping, excited to see you too. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. The ends are always tricky, aren't they? Great. Right. <laughs> Goodbye now. <laughs> right. oh, thanks, Cody. <laughs>